Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, it's so good to see many faces here this morning. Thanks for joining us on 4th of July weekend, right? We get, uh, maybe some of you get a little extra time off because of the holiday. I'm just thankful that we... We truly live in a country where we have freedom to worship our God. And um, please don't forget, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world that don't live in the freedom that you and I live into, that are hiding, hiding to gather together in the name of Jesus. You know what? When, when I say we should pray, I don't want just to put that on you. I, well, let's pray now for them. Heavenly Father, would you put your hand of protection around your family, around your sons and daughters in countries that they're getting persecuted for their faith. Their life is in danger. And God, I just read a story this week about in Nigeria, an entire family killed, husband beheaded in front of the wife and she refused to convert to Islam. She stayed true. They burned her house down. And now she's still using her home for a place of church for Christians to come and worship. So Father, would you be with them? We know you're with them. Would you protect them? Would you increase the boldness of their faith? As they stand, they're willing to die for their faith. And sometimes here in America, I don't think we understand those things. I think we understand it to a different degree. But not thinking my family may be killed for our faith. Father, thank you for us living in a country where we do have that freedom. I pray that we would take that freedom and we would run deep with it for others to experience more of you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new here, my name is Ryan. I'm our lead pastor. I just want to welcome you to Radiant Life. Right out there is a green pillar after service. Love for you to step, uh, stop by it. Check it out. We got a little gift bag for you just to say thanks for coming. And uh, church family, I love that you're here every week. I, I love it. I say every week. I realize not everyone's here every week because now the average church attendance is one in every seven weeks. Can I say at some point we as Christians need to change this? Jesus doesn't call us to be nominal Christians or go to church when we feel like it. He called us to deny ourselves every day, pick up the cross and follow after him. May we never neglect meeting in the house of, the ch- of, of God. The bride is the church. Please hear this. The bride is the church. It is, he is the head. It is his bride. Imperfect? Yes, because we're leading it. Because we're imperfect. Don't take your imperfections of your pastors on the bride of Christ. But I promise you this, we kneel and bow and say, Jesus, lead this church. So many people, I don't need that. Yeah, you do. You need church. And you need it more than every seven weeks. Come on, when I was a kid, I'm old enough to say, back when I was a kid, it was better, all right? (laughs) Guess what I did growing up as a kid? Every single Sunday, I was at church, okay? Now, what do I do as an adult, as a 40-year-old? 
I know you guys are like, well, that's your job. You have to. No, I get to do this. I get to be with you in this room every Sunday, except for a few Sundays I get off, okay? But it's great. It's beautiful. Prior to COVID, it was like once every four weeks. About once a month was the average church attendance. Post-2020, it's once every seven. Come on, when are we going to get revival and say, I need each other. We need. Hey, by the way, it ain't just about you. You may have to meet someone in the aisle because the Lord has a divine appointment for you, but you come to church too much because you're a consumer. Or you don't. That that makes sense. You don't come enough because all you're doing is consuming. It becomes about you. Perhaps you don't want to come to church, but God's waking you up to say, you need to get to church because you may not get nothing out of it, but I got someone for you to meet because you're going to be the answer to them. I'm going to use you to bring what they need and you got to obey though. Whew, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> all right. I got one more announcement and then I got to go off stage real quick. Um, Hey, in two weeks, we won't be here Sunday morning. We'll be Saturday night. So we're shifting all of our Sunday morning services to Saturday night. One time, 5 o'clock, July 15th. Okay? We're going to be out there. I'm going to show you a map next week where we're going to park. It's actually, we're going to use different entrances. We're all going to park behind the, excuse me, behind the building. That's where we're going to park in two weeks. We have inflatables for adults. <laughs> Come on. And kids, and kids. I'll get there. I'm speaking to adults right now, Amy. But she's our kids director. She's like, what about the kids? Come on, right? But I mean, I mean, if you've got a little bit of anger to take out on someone, we have jousting for you. Like, stand on a pillar and just American gladiator the snot out of that person across from you. If just in case, sons and fathers have fun. All right. Be nice. But we have inflatables for adults. We have inflatables for kids. We'll have food. We're going to have a huge bonfire. Eventually when it starts to get a little bit dark, if you're still around, we're going to do worship around a bonfire, just seeking the presence of God at nighttime around a bonfire. We'll have worship. We'll do a message. We'll have baptism. If you haven't been signed up for baptism, you're going to want to do that. TheRadiantLife.Church. Under events, go to, uh, yeah, events, and then there's a baptism sign up right there. So we're going to have fun together. Bring your lawn chair, okay? Please bring a lawn chair because we will be um, out on the parking lot, but we're going to change the style a little bit. If you were here in August, you know, we kind of used the patio as the stage and you guys sat like there. We're going to completely take our stage and we're going to move it like this way. And we'll have a big LED screen for you. It's just going to be awesome. I'm so excited. So remember, we won't be here in two weeks. We're just moving our times to a Saturday night service. Sound good? All right. I'm excited. Well, we're going to jump into our Mark series together. And today's going to look a little different in this sense. Pastor Brandon and I are tag teaming Mark chapter six. So you're going to get a little different feel. Um, I'm the patty. He's the buns. In other words, he's got, now I got to explain that. Okay. It's summer. We grill. Okay. He's the front, which is the top bun. I'm the meat in the middle, and he's the bottom bun. Does that make sense? That's how it's going to go. Um, 
I feel like we need to pray for purity. Hey, real quick, <laughs> real quick, turn to Mark 6. Turn to Mark 6. If you got your Bible, you got your tablet, whatever, you, where you find the Word of God this morning, turn to Mark 6. It's where we're going to be. And we're really, uh, Pastor Brandon and I will cover the entire chapter. Um, some portions in detail, some from a 30,000 foot view. But you will cover the entire Mark chapter 6 together. It's a great chapter. If you're, uh, if you're there, let me hear you say word. word. We get into the word. So the word. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a few weeks ago we looked at a story, Jesus, that you brought as the parable of the sower. There were four different soil types. May our hearts be good soil today. May your word be a seed that's deeply rooted and planted into our heart. And may it bring forth a beautiful harvest. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how I'm supposed to come up after having that whole buns comment. (laughs) Yeah, that just threw me off. It is good to be with you guys here this morning, and I'm excited uh, for the ground that we're going to cover through Mark 6, but keep your finger there. I want to remind us of how John Mark opened up his gospel account, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, which is probably my favorite verse in Mark, it says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so the kingdom of God, like Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. It is near, and it is good. And sometimes we just need to simply change direction. That's all that word repent means, is we were heading this way, away from God. There could be something in our life that's taking us away from God, and we simply need to change direction and come back towards him. And so I just want to make sure that we have that lens on when we dive into Mark chapter 6. And this first chunk here, in my Bible, it says rejection at Nazareth. This is where Jesus was raised, his hometown, his home area. And like, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus, like, they, they, they rejected him. They didn't believe that he was ushering in the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, I'm just going to grab a couple of quick little verses here out of that. And it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around to the villages and teaching. So he's going to the synagogue. He's going to what we would call maybe the local church. And he's teaching and it is not received at all in this scene. But that one line there, that he's amazed at their unbelief. So the question that kind of goes through my head is, would Jesus be amazed with your belief or your unbelief? And, and that's a deep, penetrating question to, to maybe the depths of your soul there. Like, 
When Jesus just kind of looks in, he pierces into your life, would he be amazed? Even if it's like mustard-sized faith. Like, this is all I've got, Lord. I, I don't get everything that's going around me, but man, I'm still holding true to you. I'm keeping my eyes on you. Or would he be amazed with your unbelief? And that's hard. Those are tough questions. Now, in my Bible, if we continue, the next heading that I see is the commissioning of the 12 disciples. And there's this scene where, like, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm giving you all authority. I I want you to go out and I'm gonna send you in different areas. I'm gonna put you out in pairs of two. You're gonna have authority to preach. You're gonna have authority to heal. And you're going to have authority to uh, exercise demons out of people. Like, just crazy. He's, he's giving them the authority to go out into these areas to usher in the kingdom of God. Check this out in Mark 6, 7. He summoned the 12, began to send them out in pairs, gave them authority over unclean spirits. It continues. So they went out. They were obedient to what Jesus said. They went out and preached that people should what? Repent, change direction, turn back towards God. And they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people in oil and healed them. Which, I mean, you read that in just a short paragraph and that sounds awesome, but I gotta be honest. Like if I was one of these 12, I'd be freaking out. You want me to do what? You want me to go where? What am I supposed to say? And I want to show you a visual representation of what this possibly could look like. And I want to show you a clip from a TV series called The Chosen. This is the largest crowdfunded multi-season TV show about the life of Jesus. And there is a powerful scene of where Jesus is commissioning the disciples, this interaction that he has with them. And I think what you're going to find is when you watch this scene, you're going to see some humor, you're going to see some confusion, and and you're going to see like, you're going to feel the weight of what's about to happen. And so it's just, I'm a visual learner, and I really feel like this scene is going to help give a visual to what we're talking about right here in these moments. I think a lot of the questions that some of those uh, disciples asked And that would be the same questions that I would ask. And I'm wondering here today for maybe some of us, like we we come here and we understand that we're supposed to be disciples who go and make disciples. But yet we're waiting for a special ceremony. We're waiting for this thing or this special training. And literally we just need to overflow Jesus. Anything that we've ever experienced with Jesus in our life, That is what we're supposed to usher into our communities where we live, work, and play. The kingdom of God is near and it's inside of you. And God deeply desires to use you in our community. And we're called to go. It's nothing special. We just need to be obedient to it. And sure, We can read this little paragraph about how Jesus commissioned the 12 and they went out. And it's like, man, those guys were awesome. But I truly believe that I bet they wrestled with some of this. Because there's a kingdom of darkness as well. And now we're going to see this 
this crazy story just smacked right in the middle here of this chapter. And Pastor Ryan's going to unpack that for us here now. You have this incredible scene, as Pastor Brandon said, on the front end when, for the very first time, Jesus' 12 disciples go from bystanders and just watching Jesus usher in the kingdom of God for the very first time participating and actively engaged in helping usher in the kingdom of God. They are now participants in, not just bystanders of. And then John Mark, the writer of the gospel puts this dark story in the midst of this really cool movement of God because at the end of Mark 6, there's even cooler moves of God. But sandwiched in the middle is a dark, dark story. In fact, it says in verse 14, King Herod heard about it. He heard about what the disciples and Jesus were doing. It says, why? Because Jesus' name had become well known. This King Herod, we got to understand the characters in this middle section. Because this middle section is a little crazy. I want to show you this chart right here. In order to understand what is truly happening, you have to understand three main characters. The three main characters are towards the bottom with a yellow circle around them. They are Herod Antipas, Herodias, and this unnamed daughter. Now, if you look in that section, and it does say King Herod, this is not the King Herod that was on the throne at the time of Jesus' birth. This is King Herod, Herod the Great's son, which is a king. So you see at the top, it says Herod the Great, and he's got that little wreath. That is Herod the Great at the time of Jesus' birth. Herod the Great dies in 4 BC. The kingdom is divided to his three sons. One of them, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is ruling, and here's how messed up this story is that John Mark puts in his gospel. Herod Antipas has a brother named Herod Philip. Herod Philip marries his niece, Herodias. Are you following so far? Herod Antipas marries his brother's wife, who is also Herod Antipas's niece. Do you see the kingdom of darkness here? Not only that, in this story, you have this unnamed daughter who is Herod Antipas's niece, which is also his stepdaughter, do a dance that's very artistic and erotic. I'll leave it at that. And it pleases Herod Antipas. See, in the story, they're trying to figure out who this Jesus is. They think, is it John the Baptist that is back from the dead? And then the rest of the story goes on about how John the Baptist has died. You see, 
In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we're told the message that John the Baptist brings to the people, and it's this. He says this, repent. What's that one word? It's repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, his message is, hey, Jesus has arrived. You must begin to change your direction in life and start walking towards God, your creator. No more of this self-life and this sin, but repent, turn your direction and go back to God. And in this story that John Mark puts right in the middle of really cool things the disciples and Jesus are doing, and then at the end of this chapter, really cool more miracles that Jesus does, is this dark story. They're wondering, oh no, is this John the Baptist back alive? What happens in this dark story is he gives us a glimpse of how John the Baptist has died. It says Herod Antipas is having a birthday celebration. He, have, he has his noblemen there, his military, top military leaders at his birthday celebration. What could go wrong? Well, in the midst of it, he knows that John the Baptist has called Herod Antipas out. Herod, you're sleeping with your brother's wife. You shouldn't do that. Not only that is, yeah, it's your brother's wife, but you've taken on her as your wife and she is your niece also. Remember what John the Baptist's message is. Repent. And in the midst of this, Herod Antipas kind of likes John's message. Guess who doesn't? His wife slash niece, Herodias. She wants to plot to kill him. Why not, right? She's calling out the sins, or John the Baptist is calling out the sins of the family. When someone wants to call sins out in your life, how do you respond? Mm. You know what we'll do? Christians are so good at this. Why don't you take the plank out of your own eye first and then worry about mine? And it's interesting. It says in verse 20, it says, when Herod, when Herod heard him, John the Baptist, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Isn't that awesome? I'm glad that's in there, because Herod's living in sin, but he likes to hear someone who knows God talk to him. And then it gets really bad. Verse 22 when Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. He's pleased with his nieces slash stepdaughter's erotic artistic dance. That probably pleased the noblemen as well as his military commanders that were there. He's so pleased, he says, I'll give you half of my kingdom. Whatever you ask, I'll give you. Here's an issue. Herod Antipas doesn't have the authority to give half the kingdom away. You know why? It's not his, it's Rome's. He's basically saying, I'll do my best. Whatever you want, I'll give. So, 
she goes, let me ask mom. She runs to Herodias, goes to her mother and says, what should I ask for? And her mom replies, John the Baptist's head. Because she doesn't like him calling out the sins of the family. Said it actually grieved King, uh, King Herod, Herod Antipas. But in order to not look unworthy or dishonorable in front of all his noble guests, he must carry the oath. And so he goes in and has John the Baptist come in and they cut the head off John the Baptist. They take his bloody head, put it on a platter and give it to his daughter. At the very end, it says that John's disciples went in and carried his body away. Just think about this. This is a headless corpse. It's a horrific scene. This headless corpse is taken away and the disciples of John the Baptist bury him. You see two kingdoms colliding. You see the kingdom of God colliding with the darkness of the kingdom of this world. And the issue with the collision is that it happened on John the Baptist's body. And today for you and I, these kingdoms are still colliding and it happens today on hearts and minds. You wonder what way I should go. And the flesh is here. The spirit's here. The culture says this. But the spirit of God says this. And you have a collision of the kingdoms. That are happening on your mind and my mind. On your heart and my heart. It's happening on our kids' minds and their heart. It's happening in our government. It's happening. The kingdom of God is colliding with the kingdom of darkness. The question will always be, where will you reside? For John the Baptist, he couldn't help but preach repentance. It was the message given to him. And even knowing I'm stepping into Herod Antipas's presence, I will still give him the good news. See, what I love about this story is that John the Baptist, he was faithful to the message even if it offended. The message he brought would ultimately put his head on a platter. What about you? You are a full-time ambassador of Jesus Christ. You have a message to bring to this world. The gospel, the good news of Jesus. Will you be faithful to the message even if it offends? Will you bring the message of Jesus to your school, to your friends there? Will you bring the message of Jesus to the sports field or the courts that you're playing on? Will you bring the message of Jesus to your neighborhoods, to your workplace, and to your family gatherings? Will you bring the message of Jesus even if it offends? 
Now please hear me. You do it the way Jesus did it. And it says Jesus came with grace and truth. Because if you are all about grace and no truth, you are full of meaningless stuff. But if you come with truth and no grace, you're just plain mean. This needs to be packaged in love. But the message we have is Jesus Christ. Will you bring it even though it will be offensive to those who don't believe? It's extremely challenging. So as Pastor Ryan already mentioned, like we have the, the kingdom of God. Now we see how the, it collides with the kingdom of darkness. And now we move back to the kingdom of God. In fact, in my Bible, it's called the feeding of the 5,000. And you actually find this account in all four gospels. So there's four writers all about the life of Jesus and they all shared this same exact story. In fact, they even give the detail that this feeding of the 5,000, that's just counting the men. So I think a conservative number on that is actually closer to 10,000 people at a minimum were here in this account. And what I love about this story, depending on which gospel writer you're reading from, because they all give these little nuances that are a little bit different, but there's a little boy that came and he had a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. And that's all he had to bring to Jesus. And Jesus blessed that and he multiplied it. And I said this last week, like maybe we just need to bring our loaves and fish and let Jesus do the work about multiplying it. I think we just need to be obedient about bringing our loaves and fish before the Heavenly Father, amen? And then we see this (laughs) supernatural, crazy story about Jesus walking on the water. So there's this feeding of the 5,000. I'm just imagining there, there had to have been at least hundreds of people trying to swarm Jesus after this moment. In fact, I think he knew what was going to happen in his leadership. He actually had the disciples get away by themselves. And he put them in a boat, and they're out to sea. And then he went up on the mountain to pray. Like, he had to have some silence and solitude. Where you would think, like, wow, you just did this crazy miracle. I would argue 10,000 or plus people. Like, they just, they want to consume more. Not just the physical word, but the word of God. And, And Jesus, he goes away. He, he goes and gets alone with the Father up on the mountainside and he sends the disciples away. But then there's this storm that takes place out on the water. And in my Bible it says, walking on water. Now that's pretty crazy, right? How many people have you seen walk on water? I haven't. It wasn't a trick question. Like... I mean, the fact that he has authority to be able to do that, right? Like we read about that in Colossians 1, where Jesus is like everywhere, the, the seen and unseen realm. He's the creator of everything. And, and so uh, d- depending on which gospel account you're reading, it, it said that Jesus was going to walk by them, which I find fascinating. And I'm wondering, in this story, in the storm, Jesus just simply wanted them to cry out for him a dependency on him. And I wonder for us, when we're in the storms of life, is Jesus just waiting for us to cry out to him in the middle of the storm? 
We've all been in storms. We've all gone through challenges. I've been transparent about just the last couple of weeks in my own life. But I, I cry out to the Lord, and he is absolutely provided. And it can be easy to get scared and nervous in the midst of the situations that you have literally absolutely no control over. I love this quote from Augustine. He says, he came walking on the waves and he puts all the swelling storms of life under his feet. Christians, why be afraid? And I think for us, we have to understand that Jesus, if he can put a physical storm under his feet, I think he can handle our situation that we are going through, the challenges that we're going through, those relationships that there's conflict in, that situation that you're dealing with. Jesus is above all of it, and I think, I think he just wants us to cry out to him. I mean, without going too far back into the commissioning, Jesus stripped them of everything because he wanted them to be dependent on the Father. And we need to be dependent on the Father. And man, we got life good here in America, amen? It is so good. And it's easy to not be dependent upon God and his presence, his Holy Spirit in our life and living a spirit-filled life. The story continues. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They, hold on to that, hurried throughout the region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was, talking about Jesus. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe and everyone who touched it was healed. We're the they now. They is the people that heard about Jesus. And they may not have put their faith into him yet, but they heard something was going down with this Jesus guy. And they went to their loved ones hoping something would happen in their loved ones' lives. We're the they now. We're to go out into our communities and to bring people to Jesus. So the question is, what people in your life need a touch from Jesus? There are people that you're in contact right now that I will never interact with, but they interact with you. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus, they're interacting with the King of the Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. And maybe they need a touch and it's only gonna come through you. You don't need to be trained. You just need to share Jesus's words. And this isn't just something that we do on a Sunday. This is something that we do for the rest of our life, each minute, each hour, every day. We are to live out our faith. It's not that, well, we came to church, we're gonna go out to eat, have a good time with some friends or family, and even though maybe the service wasn't the best, we're still gonna be kind to that server and stuff, even though we had to, you know, that was the cross we had to bear because our food took so long. And so we're gonna be kind. But the next, the next day, maybe we don't treat that server so well, where we need to be treating that server well every single day. We need, because we represent Jesus. We're ambassadors of Jesus. Amen?
Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.